This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening to the TriDot Podcast today. Hey, if you could just take a second wherever you are and whatever platform you're listening on and do us a favor, be a friend of the podcast, hit the subscribe button uh, to our channel. That just really helps our show uh, find its way to new audience members. So uh, we appreciate you listening and appreciate you being a subscriber of the podcast. Today, I have TriDot's two Jeffs with me, and we'll be talking all about how your external environment impacts your body's ability to perform in training and racing. And more importantly, how you can adjust your pacing according to the conditions outside. First up is TriDot founder and CEO, Jeff Boer. Jeff is the creator of TriDot's Insight Optimization Technology that powers TriDot's optimized training. He's a multiple time Ironman finisher who has coached dozens of professional triathletes and national champions, as well as hundreds of age groupers to podiums and PRs since he began coaching triathlon back in 2003. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going awesome, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Ready to ready to talk enorm. Uh, next up joining us is coach Jeff Rains. Jeff has a master of science in exercise physiology and was a successful D1 collegiate runner. He's qualified for the Boston Marathon multiple times and has raced over 120 triathlons from competitive sprints to full distance Ironmans. Jeff has been coaching runners and triathletes since 2009. Jeff, how's it going, brother? Going well, Andrew. I'm uh, normalized. I'm localized. I'm ready to go for today. A lot of jokes in there that are going to make sense here in just a few minutes. Well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and the captain of the middle of the pack. Today, we'll get rolling with our usual warm-up question, and then we'll discuss TriDot's EnviroNorm technology, why it's important, how it works, and the significant impact it has on your training and racing. Then we'll cool down today with a great race day story from one of our TriDot ambassadors, Andrew Sutterberg, will share about the time he took on Iron Man Lake Placid. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Running and biking aren't just imperative to our training as multi-sport athletes. They are also two great ways to get around town. A recent example of this comes from TriDot athlete Jenna from Washington State. Recently on Facebook, she shared a picture from her trip to the dentist where she rode her Cannondale slice and laid in a dentist chair with her cycling shoes still on. It was amazing, and it leads us to today's warm-up question. What is one occasion where you used running or cycling to accomplish an errand typically done by driving a car? Jeff Rains, what, what, what's an example of a time you've pulled a Jenna and uh, cycled your way somewhere? Oh man, there's so many to choose from. I mean, um, I've, I always try to be efficient. So, so like if I drop my car off for an oil change, you know, if, if I'm not changing it myself that time, um, you know, I'll go, you know, on a 
you know, a bike ride or I'll even go on a run to kill time while I'm waiting uh, for my vehicle, stuff like that. But um, actually what, what really came to mind was I used to drive a school bus. Um, I, I was a, a high school track and cross country uh, head head coach, and uh, I drove the bus for, for, for not just our track team, football team. Somehow I can picture that. Me, me driving with, with my hands above my head, uh, not that big steering wheel. Uh, um, but man, uh, f- first of all, I'll just say that uh, since driving a school bus and having a, a football team in the bus chanting and raving and, and on the highway in the m- middle of the DFW area at the time, it, it, it's, it's chaotic. It's exactly what you think it is. Um, but anytime I'm on the highway now and I see a school bus... They have the right of way. I, I give them that <laughs> space. Um, but anyways, um, a lot of those football games I, I, I would drive the school bus to, um, I, I would drop off the team and park the bus, and I'd just go on a long run. Um, and, and then maybe by halftime. Oh, yeah, it's a good way to use that time. Yeah, yeah I'd, mm-hmm. at halftime I'd get back, get a bite to eat, and watch the second half of the game. So that's just kind of what initially came to my mind. But I, I did that numerous, numerous times those couple of years. Jeff Booer, what's an example of uh, some ways you've used running and biking to run some errands, get some stuff done? Yeah, that have well to me that that hasn't happened a lot. Uh, don't okay. typically do that. I love that about the sport though. It's a you know swim, bike, and run, not just a sport, but things that are just general fitness, but they're also ways to get places. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. One time uh, last year, actually, my wife works a senior center. Um, and uh, part-time and she she forgot her lunch she prepared something for her to eat a little snack and it was midday and um she said hey you know would you mind you know so the thoughtful husband that i am uh-huh, uh <laughs> volunteer you know bring it to her and it's it's a uh, exactly 3.1 miles uh, from our house and so i ended you up knew r- that conveniently i didn't at the time but okay. i found that out oh. so i just took off i knew I, I had to get some work done but also needed to get in and run um so i ended up running it up there um, so it's 5k each way. So it worked out about right. So I had to repack things to, so they'd stay cold as summer, Texas, yeah. degree heat. Nice little productive 10k. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. All right. Yeah. I'm also reminded just talking about commuting, using swim, bike and running. I think I only mentioned bike and running, but they, there was an article that one of our athletes was floating around on Facebook just floating the other around. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, unintentional pun. I'm just that good. Um, so it, it was a satire article. It was, it was clearly supposed to be a joke. Uh, but when you're a triathlete, like I thought it was real at first until someone pointed out that it was satire and it was an article, um, saying, you know, local man, you know, commutes to New York city, you know, via swim, swims across the Harbor to commute (laughs) to his day job in New York city. And like, it was written to be obviously a joke, but like as a triathlete, you see that and you're like, well, yeah, sure. Of course a triathlete could (laughs) swim, uh, to work if given a chance. Um, but in that particular instance, it wasn't true. But, um, for, for me, one, one that I did in my, um, previous job working at a television station, um, that there was, there was a day my car needed some work and, and there's a Midas, uh, you know, car, car place that is, uh, between, uh, my house and, and work. And so I dropped my car off there and, um, um, you know, my, my wife took me the rest of the way to work. And so at the end of the day, you know, multiple of my coworkers knew that my car was in the shop that day. Uh, and so, and so I had uh, several people like, Hey, you need me, you need me to swing, swing you back by the, you know, the car place on the way home. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to run. Uh, I, I Googled the route. Um, it was like four, about four and a half miles. I had a 40 minute zone two run that day. So it really worked out and it, it was a hot summer day. And so they, like, they all just thought I was crazy. Like mm-hmm. what you're going to run there. You're just going to run down the road to the Midas. It's like, yeah, it's, it's only four point something miles. Well, to them, that sounds like you're going to run <laughs> for But anyway, it's so, marathon. um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a great way to, to go pick up the car or go, um, you know, go visit the dentist or, or, or whatnot. So, Hey guys, we're going to throw this out to you guys on social media because, uh, I, I trust, 
uh, athletes in our audience uh, have done this and have, have probably done some really creative stuff with this. So, uh, you know, whether you've uh, returned a Redbox DVD by, by running it back up or whether you've uh, gone and visited the doctor uh, on your bike, whatever you've managed to do uh, in your in your errands running days, uh, go find us. I am tried out on Facebook, and we're going to post this question out there, and we want to hear from you on what you've used your biking and running abilities uh, or swimming abilities uh, to get some errands done during the day. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Us triathletes know that temperature, humidity, and elevation have a significant impact on our training and racing metrics. But how do we know how much to adjust our pace or our wattage in the summer heat or the humidity or when training at a higher elevation? Today, Jeff Boer and Jeff Rains will explain how TriDot's EnviroNorm technology accounts for these variables to keep our training and racing spot on. So Jeff Rains, let's start at the top today with, with just the why. You know, why are there training intensities? You know, just, just the paces and the powers that we hold in a particular session. You know, why are these so important to get right? Well, our intensities are prescribed and, and optimized in a way that's catered to achieving specific results and outcomes to achieve a specific purpose. And, and, and the goal in general of training is to be able to maintain a higher pace or speed over a set distance. And, and there are certain types of, of, of these workouts that are set to, to achieve those specific purposes um, and, and to support different goals. It's how we mix and match these different types of workouts and their underlying variables inside of them that, that we are able to kind of maximize our own potentials and, and our performance levels. So, for example, um, I mean, you've got, you know, your, your intensity runs, you've got your long runs, tempos, you know, what, what does it all mean, right? And so there's kind of, th- what kind of just, long story short, three, three main categories here. The variables to uh, duration, intensity, frequency, technique and sequence how, how you're pulling those five different levers uh within you know, an individual session making up the sets those matter inside of each of these three types of even workouts yeah yes. all mean something and right? then the rest in between the intervals how long the rest is whether it's two minutes in between those intervals or rest, three minutes rests. Th- those really really uh, uh hardcore work, uh, run workouts that only give me one minute uh, of right. rest in between <laughs> that's all very intentional and purposeful and just creating one plan with all of those crazy variables for, for one person for one season just seems like a nightmare. You go cross-eyed, a headache. But imagine doing that for every single individual person and optimizing their plan. And as you know, hiccups or things come along the way, changing, monitoring that plan inside of us. So there's just a lot that, that, that goes on. Um, but anyways, you know, we, we, we've got our interval training. You know, some people um, kind of know it as that, that, that hit training or high-intensity interval training. Um, but, but the, the concept here is, you know, kind of alternating between high and low intensities, uh, and that's trying to achieve a balance of, of, of utilizing different energy systems and building kind of your aerobic capacity, let's say, and this in turn builds your speed and efficiency of the cardiovascular system, right? So that's, that's kind of your speed long runs. The key purpose is to develop our aerobic endurance and tolerance, uh, you know, from, you know, musculature, uh, skeletal, uh, aspect as well. And, and unlike aerobic capacity from, from interval training, which is your max speed and max capacity of the cardiovascular system, um, to, to exchange oxygen and, and, 
aerobic endurance here, though, is kind of like a different, kind of like different gears in your car, uh, let's say. And, and you'll use here for long runs, you'll use like a moderate gear or, or like a level over a longer distance. Okay. Um, and that's kind of known as your running economy. So you're not working your engine as hard, you're just working it for longer. Exactly. And and then you kind of have like somewhere in between intervals and long runs are kind of like your, your tempos. Um, and, and these are designed for, for distances typically shorter than kind of a goal race distance at a pace that, that is at that kind of race effort and sometimes maybe a little bit faster. Um, but they're typically even paced and can be split into multiple segments inside of a workout as well. And these help teach kind of that grit factor we always talk about and, and also kind of just being comfortable at being uncomfortable um, at faster efforts and, and, and longer sets. So it kind of builds a tolerance factor there. Um, but how far, how long, and how fast should these be, right? So, so all of these variables, long story short, kind of like long runs build your endurance, short, hard intervals build your speed, and these kind of like fartleks, tempos, or these targeted runs, let's say, uh, test your speed endurance at a target or projected yeah. race effort. And, and so having those sets, having those different types of training sessions is important, you know, and, and so we want to get the paces right because the, those specific paces are designed to test those different parts of our running and, you know, running and cycling engines. And so what temperature and what environment those sessions are done in, we want to make sure that we're not, uh, you know, a, a zone two run on a hot day, you know, might not work what it's supposed to work if we're not accounting for the environment. And that's where... Yep. Think about uh, even the time and the paces, how critical that is. If your objective, and that's the whole principle behind intervals, if your objective is to get a certain amount of time duration in at your threshold pace, for example, and you could go out and do that 30 minutes straight, or you could break it up into three sets of 12 minutes with one minute rest. So you are able to partially recover, and it allows you to get six more minutes in that session. So it's very specific, but if you go too fast then you're going to blow up and you're not going to get it. You know, you only get to 28 minutes and then you're, you're cooked. Yeah. Or if you don't go hard enough, then you're not taxing the right energy system and you're not getting the benefit of it. So yeah. And then of, there could be an overflow into other workouts. And yeah. so now that, that ruins other workouts cascade and then you just, effect. yeah, cascade the, the, the overflow. Yeah. So, so wanting to get the paces right and get these intervals right in our sessions, it's important to know the temperature and the environment in which these sessions are being done. And so the way Tridot accounts for the external environment for each workout session, it, it, it's just another example of how Tridot is helping athletes do the right training right each and every day. Um, so Tridot's technology for adjusting to the environment is called EnviroNorm, or eNorm for short. Um, Jeff, how did eNorm come to be? Well, the primary research for Tridot started in you know, 2004, 2005 time frame, and after about, uh, it took about four or five years maybe five or six years to get the foundational metrics and develop some of the standardization and normalization methodologies to, to look at the data, construct the data, uh, to be able to do some of the analysis and optimization. Um, so after that time, we started shifting to, to look at some of the other ways where we could factor in outside factors, you know, to isolate the training, you have to know, you know, isolate some of these other things. What's affecting the body in, in training. Yeah, correct. So yes. And so there's things that are outside external factors affecting the body. And so you have to separate the performance variations that you're seeing in the, the data and the response to that from what is environmental versus what is a response to the training. So okay. what is performance improvement or lack of improvement or stagnation? And what is just changes in the outside environmental yeah. conditions? Um, and so we wanted to account for those. And so over time, we 
kind of did all the literature, everything out there, everyone who'd already done some work. And there's a bunch of different approaches to doing that. So we found which ones work the best and then validate that with our own data. Um, so create basically the what became enorm, Environorm uh, technology to kind of back out the noise in the data yeah. and be able to assess and draw those cause and effect conclusions about, you know, what training is effective and, and how much and what's optimal. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if you're an athlete and, and you're just not considering environment, you know, normally, or, or some of those other external factors, I mean, you know, you, you would just probably go through the year just thinking that you're getting faster and getting slower. Because I think back to, you know, my, I had a 5K assessment back in March where I PR'd my 5K. And, and as Andrew, the average athlete, the, the run is my best. And so my, my 5K PR back in March was 18.16. And then just a few weeks ago, I 5K assessed again. And my 5k was 1846. And so you just look at that and you're like, oh man, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting worse. I'm not improving. I mean, in, so enorm tells me that the, the effort was, was around the same. So I'm, I'm not, you know, unproving, but, but for athletes that don't consider that you just go throughout the year thinking that as the temperatures drop, oh, look at how fast, look how much faster I'm getting, but you're not thinking about the fact that, well, it's getting cooler outside and vice versa. So, um, you know, just talking through those, those, external factors and the internal factors. I know Trot uses both in optimizing an athlete's training. And and internally, you know, we have um you know looking at biological information, we have our genetics, mm-hmm. which uh back uh podcast episode seven was all about our physiogenomics and how Trot takes your genetic information mm-hmm. to internally optimize your 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 training. And externally we have enorm. Um and, and so just well, kind it's of like talk a sandwich this. with the training in the middle and you yeah. have the outside <laughs> being the environment and the wind and the, all of that stuff. And inside it's your DNA. Both of those have influences. And if you don't know how they're influencing you and to what degree, then you can't really optimize what's in the middle, which is that training. Yeah. And so podcast episode seven, if, if folks go back and listen to that, it kind of talks about the internal factors on how our genetics uh, affect how we train. Uh, but, but tell me how the external, how, how enorm um, actually works in accounting for the differences in external environment. Yep. So obviously it's it's adjusting your paces and power, you know, your your FTP on all the paces derived from your FTP, um, which is your functional threshold pace, functional thre- threshold power, um, to accommodate or to account for the environment. Um, so that's a process. It's a two-step process. It's kind of bi-directional rather than two steps, I guess. One is, so it takes, uh, performances. It could be an assessment. It could be a race, could be just a workout and your data file from, you know, XYZ location at certain altitude, certain temperature, humidity. Uh, and then it, it normalizes that back to base values. So what would that individual athlete, what would you have done if it had been at the base values of sea level, 59 degrees, 30% humidity, which is like just the optimal, like the, yes, yeah, like this, that's the base, you know, that's like, it's a reference point. That is the base reference point for normalization. So normalization goes from an actual somewhere theoretical or, you know, whatever environment that is anywhere in the world and normalizes it back to a base, um, value. Then the other going the other direction from base, to any other location or environment is called localization. So now you're localizing, you know, the athlete's uh, base value for their FTP and other metrics. So you're able to push that out and environment normalize it in a localizing fashion. So your environment localizing it to, you know, Denver, Colorado at, you know, whatever, or Galveston, Texas, 90 degrees and 80% humidity, you know, whatever that is and be able to account uh, for that and to prescriptively give the appropriate paces 
on what you should do so you, that you're in those right zones for the right amount of time. Because it makes it makes a big difference. I mean, I, I remember, you know, vacationing in Colorado Springs and just walking around Garden of the Gods, you know, d- day one, <laughs> you know, day one in Colorado Springs, I was winded versus I can run at sea level in Galveston and be be more comfortable, you know, in, in a better heart rate place, yep. a lower heart rate running in Galveston than walking in Colorado Springs. It makes a big difference. And not only the location, but time of day. So think yeah. even morning to afternoon. Some places have pretty, you know, static uh, temperature, but some will have a 20, 30 degree swing yeah. in temperature and humidity during the same day. We actually had some users that'll, um, they were in Sedona and um, they were, you know, increasing two to three, 4,000 feet from where they trained to where they live. Wow. And so there's this big okay. delta depending on where they did the workout that day. Yeah. And so they need to account for that. Um, so, so you have the two directions, bi-directional, you normalize it back to base values, uh, for a consistent reference point. Um, from that reference point, we can analyze all the, you know, tens of thousands of athletes and look at the data and know, okay, this is not environment related. so we can look at the optimization algorithms there, and then you can localize it and prescribe, uh, for any athlete anywhere in the world, any, you know, time of the day in yeah. those environments. Then there's two layers, uh, to that. They're call them impact layers um, that you normalize for. One is um, they're internal and external. Internal, we're not talking DNA here. We do that. So that's a separate thing. But this is still the environment effects. It affects you internally. And what that means is it addresses all the factors that have physiological impact on your ability to perform, your ability to do work. For example, elevation, there's less oxygen. Um, so that has the impact that you can't breathe as much. You have to breathe more. And that's um, an impact on your body internally. Internally, that physiologically. That ability to breathe. Yep. Yeah. And the same temperature humidity um, combined to have a certain heat. Uh, so your body diverts blood to you know from your muscles to your skin surface to cool yourself. Yeah. Uh, when you don't have to do that, you have more so blood. So your heart available. is working harder internally exactly. because so of that's the temperature. Internal factors that inhibit your ability to produce work or to perform. Then there's the external variables and those are things that have a physical impact on the results of your performance so how at whatever level you perform you're putting out the work so it's not that you can't put out the work yeah but what results do they produce uh so in that case is you know wind speed and direction wind exposure you know are you in a cavernous area or lots of buildings or are you out on the plains or the desert or grassland or a beach or coast yeah um what's the topography like is it you know, a lot of rolling hills, there's a flat, is it uphill, surface conditions, what kind of, you know, how smooth is road you're riding or running on, if you're in the water, is there a current, um, what the water type, is it salt water, you have more buoyancy, you wear in a wetsuit. So is there ex- externally pool, pool will impact yeah, you? Yeah, the format of the pool, how often are you pushing off? Um, yeah. So there's all of these things that you can normalize for to translate, whether it's a race performance or a training set, back to a base value and assess, okay, factor out internal and external environmental factors, what were the results of that set? And then prescriptively, you know, prescribing that back out. Yeah, and, and just to make that tangible for athletes, I, I know for me, my first couple of years in the sport, I would, um, I, I had an Excel, you know, kind of Google sheet, and after every single race, I, I would sit down and I would, I would log my splits, I would log kind of what the temperature was that day, I would log, um, I, just, just kind of, just kind of hand notes on, you know, was it a hilly course, was it, you know, did the swim have current, and and, and that was my way of looking back, just very amateurly. At okay, yeah, this race, I, um, you know, my time might have been a little bit slower, but yeah, look at the elevation and and because you're trying to to compare for yourself, yeah, how did I do on this race am I versus that other race? Yeah, a- a- am I improving? Am I getting faster? Was that a really good race for me, or did I underachieve in that race? And so, you know, when, when you're talking about even just on an individual training session, bringing it back to that that base level, bringing it back to that baseline, it gives us a way of comparing how did that training session go, how did that race go. 
well, we've we've environment normalized or we've enormed it. We've normalized the data, and so we can know this is how it actually went. So, so there, there are some athletes out there, and there are some uh, most coaches out there. I mean, they they don't really take all this into account, uh, and and no so one. Some athletes don't, and no one. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, pretty, a different. Like pretty much all. I mean, you, you take into account the fact that you know it's hot outside, so you temper your expectations, right? But that's about all you do, right? You don't you don't know scientifically, you know, data wise, how to adjust your workout, and so. Tridot is the only one in the game doing this, and really on this level of detail, taking environment into consideration on every single training session. So, yep, t- we have tell patents me- pending, of, of course, on this. Yeah, of course. But um, we've done a lot of this extensive research. This, you know, particular um, component of the technology we've been working on for more than ten years, and so we have multiple patents filed in the U.S. and abroad. So, yeah. So, so tell me for for the athletes out there that that aren't currently you know, leveraging this into their training, you know, what are the consequences of not environment normalizing your training? So, so you kind of alluded a little bit to it earlier. I mean, your, your, your 5k, um, that you were talking about, Andrew, you, you, you ran one in a month or two or whatever later and, and you slowed down and, you know, mentally you may have thought, man, I, I lost fitness. I'm detraining. You're I'm detraining. Yeah. Or, or now maybe you, you even go, you know, your next month or two training at zones and paces based off of that slower 5k, but yet you're a number of months into training. You got to be fitter. You got to be faster, but you just did that 5k assessment in conditions that were hotter or whatever than, than that first test. Um, and so, so now you're, you're, maybe you're a little bit bummed out maybe your man has slowed down. So maybe there's the mental, um, the morale aspect to it all. But, but really if you used the enorm factor here, maybe physiologically internally, maybe your body thinks you, you didn't slow down 30 seconds, you know, or in, let's say maybe you did slow down 30 seconds, but physiologically your body may have thought you actually ran 45 seconds mm-hmm. faster. So you actually had a 15, 20 second personal record. Um, and so that's kind of what it does. And so now we, we can establish much more accurate training and pace zones, kind of no matter what conditions you run in, uh, we can normalize those down and, and generate going forward, much more accurate training zones. But if you don't use this technology, um, you know, there can be training loss, right? You, you can overtrain, you can undertrain, um, and maybe not being able to, to complete a session, you know, down the line. Um, and so a good, a good example here, if one athlete, um, that just acquaintances with didn't use tridot was just doing a run. He's only running. Um, but he was complaining about just the Texas heat and he had his, you know, the training he was doing, I don't know where he got it from, but it's three by eight minute at threshold, um, was the set he was supposed to do. So he needed three by eight. That's 24 minutes at threshold at a certain pace. But he said, yeah, halfway into the second, you know, effort, I just blew up. I just couldn't do anymore. So he didn't get hardly any of the benefit of that whole session because he was running too hard for yeah. the environment and so he did the yeah. first one halfway through the second one blew up he didn't get half of it and in, in that kind of workout you need the whole 24 minutes the first 12 is not going to help you a lot so he yeah. missed a whole session you yeah know, the benefit of that session you can't go back and do it tomorrow and, and, and just, need to, and be just done to on that day. quantify how much a uh, environment can affect what your threshold pace should be i mean so using that example three by eight minutes for me you know we're recording this episode during summertime in texas uh, and so obviously there's going to be different environment factors throughout the year and, and depending on where people live, uh, you know, but for us, so my threshold pace in 98 degrees at 8.30 p.m. in Texas uh, will currently at this present time be around seven minute miles, whereas, you know, normally that's closer to 6.10, 6.15, 6.20. And so you're, you're talking not just a little bit, but right. I, I need to be slowing down anywhere from 40 to 45 seconds per, per minute per mile to be running in the right zone. Right. 
And so if in, in this guy's scenario, if he doesn't know that, I mean, he's running almost a minute per mile potentially yep. too fast. And then, yeah, blowing up and not getting the workout in. Yeah. And like we're, we can be stubborn as athletes and we know it's hot and we know we should slow down, but we still want to hit that, that, that goal I'll pace. Just push harder. It's and it's got to look good on Strava, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually this, this athlete that, that, that Boer was just talking about, um, you know, he got 50% of the quality in, but let's say 90% of, of, of the gains you're going to get out of that workout might occur in the last couple minutes. Yeah, of that 24 right. minutes first of most interval sets or most workouts the first half to two-thirds are priming you for that last portion of the workout all the gain is at the last part it's like a tour de france like race stage where the yeah. first 90 percent of the stage is just to wear the guys out it's for a the last little bit to get you conditioned <laughs> and primed to accept the, the overload training at the end so so let's just let's just kind of use a, a kind of a fun example here if you're not kind of using this enorm technology you're kind of winging it you're, you're kind of guessing okay i should slow down a little bit because it's hot uh, let's put this into perspective. Let's just say you're 16 weeks out to, to a marathon. Okay, you know, four months. Great. I got plenty of time to get ready for that marathon, right? I got four full months. But actually, if you're going to, to do your, your assessments monthly, right, you're going to update your, your fitness, your zones, and all of that. Four of those weeks there will be assessments, right? Recovery so, weeks so, and periodized training. Yeah. yeah. And so the rest of that week, you got recovery and all sorts of stuff. So, so four weeks of the 16 are already out right there. So you have 12 more weeks right, to, to really train. But then you got probably close to a two-week taper leading up to, to the last couple of weeks there of the marathon. So really, you only have 10 weeks of the 16 to super capitalize on maybe a long run session, because we're only doing one of those a week, um, maybe uh, in that one hard interval session per week, right? So we have 10 more opportunities, 10 more weeks, essentially, to really capitalize, even though we're 16 weeks out. If you don't use this enorm technology in, in, in your overtraining or undertraining, um, and, and you miss just one long run, or you have this scenario that this gentleman had, right? He only you, you got go too hard or too too soft on a long run or interval yeah. run. You, you've wasted that entire week. Yeah, right. So it's not one session; it's the week because you only get one of those workouts per week. Yeah, until the next one comes, yeah. right? And so let's just say you know you you're 16 weeks out, but I just mentioned you really kind of only have 10 of these kind of quality weeks, let's say, to capitalize on these things. But you got one, two, or three not perfect workouts because not every workout is perfect, right? Inside of that, I mean, you are really, really uh, losing 10 to 20 percent of, of of your potential. I'm if, like stressed out right now. Yeah, like I feel like I need to start getting ready for my next race, like right now. And, and this <laughs> th- this this isn't to, to well, I mean it. it it kind of I, sort I, of I, I should, should scare yeah. some people essentially, but like if you're 16 weeks out from a marathon, really you only have 10 weeks, to, 10 opportunities to really uh, capitalize on your potential. And if you just have one bad session, you get halfway through that long run and you it's have 10%. to call it quits, that's 10%. Yeah. Right there, you're 16 weeks out, and one bad workout, you have just taken your race down potentially 10%. Mm-hmm. Not ten percent of your time, but ten percent of your improvement potential. Yeah, you know, it happens yeah. twice. That's twenty percent, one fifth of the amount that you could have uh, improved. improved. And the thing is, not to freak people out and like, yeah, oh, yeah. be so hypersensitive, but it's to it's to use the tools and technologies available to make it make the most from every opportunity. There's a reason we've gone through all the and I say we as in you. <laughs> There's well, a reason you've gone through all the effort <laughs> um, to to figure this out and and get it right and dial it in to where athletes can leverage this in every single session. It makes a huge difference. So much. Um, we're not even touching on you know injury and some of these other things. That it's the consistency of your training, week after week after week that matters. And when you have these fluctuations, overtraining, undertraining, that's when injuries happen, and you don't know you're overloading yourself as much as you are. You bump up the volume, you bump up something else. But if you also do it in hotter weather, 
you know, there's a number of things that can happen that lead to injury and um, that cumulative effect of all those is the, the big killer. What a lot of people also don't take into account, um, which, which we are, is how the weather changes during a race or, or, or during a workout. Which can be significant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're out on that Ironman course for, for, for 12 hours, let's say, the wind isn't the exact same, you know, uh, coming from the same direction or the same mile per hour, the, the entire sustained 12 Even hours. Even in a one-hour run outside the wind can change yeah, absolutely and 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 some of the hills are eight percent for for a mile some are three percent for 10 miles and and so all of these factors um are just it's really really cool um and so we are accommodating for those things yeah and that's getting a little bit ahead on on race x um so we can maybe cover that in a different yeah that, that's podcast. a whole different we, we want to make sure people know um how much goes into prepping you for race day and getting the weather right and the execution and the weather right on race day so that will be a part of a race x specific podcast for sure i have another couple of examples um of how it affects people in scenarios where they don't really realize do tell the consequence yes one is um early in the year a lot of people do an assessment or have you know come february they have their 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 run paces their bike power whatever that is um let's just say run paces and then as they continue um training and it gets warmer and the paces need to get slower and so they keep pushing at the faster paces but it's gradual so they're gradually effectively overtraining. They're doing more than they should. So they're yeah. not getting the benefit of the workout and they're causing too much stress, more than they can recover from, but they're not realizing it. So that builds this chronic overtraining. It's cumulative, chronic, yeah. cumulative training load. So they don't really and they feel like they're plateaued. So they're plateaued because they keep overtraining on these workouts and they're not recovering from the workout. So their body's not absorbing that training. So it's it is just gradual over time. And then, you know, they're frustrated because they're using non normalized intensities. Um, and they're perceiving it as a plateau, um, but they could have been getting faster if actually they slowed down a bit, did the workout they're supposed to, get their full time in each duration at the right intensity, and then they would have been improving. Without looking at enorm, they wouldn't know they're supposed to be slowing down, Correct. and so you, you feel like, oh, hey, man, yeah. I'm not keeping the pace I should be keeping. Yep. And another one you mentioned, too, alluded to before, of, of just the, the getting cooler um, and people drawing connections, you know, false conclusions. Um and uh, that happens a lot in marathon training. There's a lot of people, it's kind of a fallacy that, oh, when I do marathon training, I really want to work on my run this year. So I'm going to do marathon training. And they train long and they associate that good running um, that they do because a lot of marathons are, you know, in the winter months. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, it gets cooler. So they train, so all, they train in the winter. And all of their times are, are, are they cooler. they train in warmer climates and, and on train, race day. Correct. So in the, in the winter, they're training in cool climates and their run pacing is faster. And so they associate, ah, oh, I run, my running gets better. This run training is really working. Yeah. With marathon. And then so, but it's the cooler weather. And so they're not accounting the, they're separate. They're drawing a conclusion about the training when the biggest factor of that is the environment, not the training itself. And so then they do the wrong training they don't improve the threshold oh, they, they think run. because they're running longer they're getting faster yeah, but so it's just cool training is really yeah. good they're getting faster just because it's getting cooler yeah yeah correct and then, so they're not doing the right training that's helping them increase their ftp and overuse all those other um you know dangers and, and harms that come from that from an injury standpoint too so just just kind of getting into the 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 nuts and bolts of of how it really works what it really does um you know t tell me this you know where does tridot pull all this environmental data from well the data uh comes from a number of different sources one is the the device itself so after the fact so whether you're wearing your garmin your polar yeah. your so it's your... gonna pull in and that so that'll override it if if you're pulling in device data 
that's what happened. So that's kind of after the fact when it's normalizing back from actual to, to the base normalization. Um, but other than that, we'll use weather feeds. We have multiple weather feeds. So we're checking um, those and, give, and prescribing it based on the time of day of the session. Um, and then the location um, in, in your TriDot settings for each session, you can say, and you can have defaults, like I want you know all my indoor to be at this temperature. This is the temperature, you know, the location. So you can set those indoor settings uh, for each one. And then it'll take your, either you can set it to your current location, which is where you are. It looks at location services on your device, smartphone or computer laptop, yeah. um, or your home location. And so it's kind of this descending. If there's information in the device, it uses that. If there's not information in the device, it uses weather feeds. If it doesn't have the weather feeds, you know, then it goes to predefined settings for in, inside workouts. Okay. And then goes the same thing. If you say current location, grabs that. If you don't have a current location, then use your home location. And you can go always go in and modify it, manually enter it. That's an important thing. Yeah. So so after the fact, yeah. if, if you if you look at it and and for whatever reason your, your your device thought it was 83 degrees and you know it was 93 degrees, right. after the fact you can tell it no, it was really 93. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so so sometimes when we have podcasts like this where we're really um, talking through a feature of TriDot that I know athletes ask about regularly, uh, I'll reach out to Cindy. Uh, who is our, our lead TriDot support uh, 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 team member, and, and I'll say, hey, you know, we're, we're covering this. I know you get questions about this. You know, what, what, what are the top things you want people to know about this feature of TriDot? And so Cindy, very specifically, and, and you talking about kind of the home address reminded me of this. She was like, remind people, for the love of everything good and holy in this world, <laughs> remind people to, on their account, have the correct home address. Because if if, if you move, if, if you don't put that, that data in there, yeah. Um, you know, if, if you live at, at 6,000 feet and TriDot does not know that, it is not, in, you know, environment normalizing your workouts for 6,000 feet. So so it's got to know where you're at. Uh, and, and so for me, it knows I live in Flower Mound, Texas. It's 537, you know, feet above sea level. Uh, and, and it knows that. And so wherever you're at, I mean, go check your your, your settings. Make sure that's right because that is crucial. Flower Mound is 5,000 feet. 500. Flower Mound's 500. <laughs> 537 feet above sea city level. city in Texas. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's uh, just a few miles from here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long uphill drive to Flower Mound. Yeah. Um, but but another thing with that is, too, if, if you're ever traveling or if you're ever somewhere that, that I mean, you gave the example earlier of, of the guy who lives um, you know, in a place where Sedona and Flagstaff. Yeah, you, you can yeah. be at 6,000 feet. You can be at 2,000 feet, depending on whether you're at home or at work. So yeah. before your workout, you know, go in, tell tell TriDot, okay, I'm working out at, at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. This is where I'm going to be. And make sure it knows that it can get your workout and your environment normalization right. Yeah, and there's two things there. One is your home address. That's um, You don't have to put that in in your account, but it's good that we use it for that. Yeah. So it's not required um, for, for any billing or we're not going to mail you anything, anything like that. But that's what we use it for, the address there. And the other thing is when you first log on, it says share your location. So that location sharing. And so just give permission to do that when you log on. Like Google Maps, all of that. Yeah. They need to know where you're at to be able to use the app. It's the same way. And so it'll you'll be able to hit current location, wherever you're at, it'll oh, It'll Perfect. Update. Do it, people. Do it. It helps a lot. It helps you get it right. Uh, so tell me, guys, tell me this, guys. What impact can an athlete expect eNorm to have to, just on the day-to-day training? You know, should we always check our workout in advance to see if the zones have changed? Or, or does it really take extreme conditions, those hot summer days, those cold winter days, high elevation, before training intensities need to be adjusted? 
You know, it's quick, it's simple. Just, 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 you know, pull up the phone app, log in on your desktop. Um, it, it, it's not hard to do. Um, so, so the answer is hundred percent yes. You know, log in before your workout, um, right before or hopefully within. So just make sure. Yeah, it's gonna yeah, be right. Yeah, within an hour, and kind of, you know, Boomer mentioned earlier too that like some people live in areas where like you know a ten-hour window you know, the, the temperature is not going to change more than a degree or two. So, so, um, you know, it may not be as, you know, prevalent to do that, but, um, you know, for, for, for a lot of us, man, that weather swings a lot all mm-hmm. day long. And so it is very important that if, if you want to get the most out of this, this kind of enorm technology here and the most out of your training that you do log in before the session. I just recently moved from central Texas to West Texas and, uh, I went from 400 feet elevation to 3000 feet elevation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not 5,000 feet. <laughs> and I did a test and I got the, ex- my bike, my 20 minute, you know, FTP bike test, uh, my, my monthly tried out assessment. And I got the exact same Watts as I got from, from a month or two ago. And, you know, I was, I was like, okay, well I haven't lost fitness. I moved, you know, whatever. And, and I was a little bit bummed. I did both tests indoors, 70 degrees, about 30% humidity. Um, I, about, I was within one beat of the same kind of average heart rate, max heart rate that I achieved. And I was just thinking like, man, what is going on here? I didn't, I've been training hard. Why didn't I improve? Um, well, then I went back in there and I uh, updated uh, the city. Where you lived, yeah. And that, you know, 2,500, 2,600 feet of elevation change, actually the enorm gave me an 8-watt improvement. Ooh. So even though in person, in real time, I achieved the exact same score, the exact same average watts for that 20-minute period, that enorm then saw that, flagged it. I was at a little bit of elevation. Because it knew it took more of an effort to match what you had done at a lower elevation. Yeah, and now my zones are a little bit different um, uh, going forward uh, for the next month until so, I so test Rance, again. tell me this, because I've had athletes um, um, ask me this before. I know they've asked you guys, the coaches, this before, um, because our athletes do want to do the right training right, and they want to get it right. And so, um, you know, athletes that, that have heard us talk about, okay, put in your location ahead of time, let try to know, you know, the, the temperature, where your workout's going to be. And so they'll do that, and then they, they go, they do their run, they do their bike, they come back inside, uh, that you know their their Garmin watch their their unit you know uploads the data and then all of a sudden the jo- the zones change just a little bit right and, and it's just a little bit but it's enough to maybe affect our trainex score just a pinch um, you know can, why why do we see a difference between our zones going into the workout and coming out of the workout uh, if we've updated where we're at in advance. Yeah, you know, I mean, weather is not a, a perfect science, you know, even even the weathermen have been, been perfecting these things for, for decades now, and, you know, that says it's going to rain, and it weathermen doesn't. Weathermen can be fallible. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, you, you look at your, your training within an hour, okay, it's supposed to be 90 degrees, you go out to a track, and your watch reports 92 degrees. I mean, uh, it, 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 you know, it is what it is. Um, and so, so, so there are unique cases in there. Um, so, and, so on the front end, you know, TriDot is pulling the weather data from a, a weather service, correct? And then on the back end, it's the watch actually out in that environment, re- reading and reporting what it's seeing, and that then. Yeah, there's there's a there's a, a projected versus kind of a historic weather uh, pattern there, and the the device also has a temperature gauge. Most most devices out there have temperature gauges inside of them, um, and and sometimes you know actually there there are defaults in some of these things, or sometimes body heat plays into the actual temperature as well. So if it's thirty degrees out, but your body heat uh, you know reports forty degrees, or that device reports forty degrees, um, so so there are different uh, manufacturers and recommendations um, 
on things to do there, uh, d- depending on kind of which device you're using yeah. to collect that data. But TriDot will will uh, you know accommodate um, that that actual weather as well. And then you can also, like you said, if if there was a unique discrepancy there uh, from a device, let's say you can go in and uh, manually uh, update or complete those. So you okay. can manually update it after the fact. For sure, adjust it and then yeah. retest the file. Um, but then before, if you go over the the training intensities page, you can go in and put in whatever you want. So even if ahead of time, you know the best the thing, you know all you can do, all Tridot can do, and all any person can do is make the most of the data that you have available. Yeah. So if the data is there, we can use it. If it's not there, we can't use it. We don't know what it is. So if it's a little warmer than you know you thought it was, just adjust to, as best you can. You're going to get a whole lot closer because it's already pretty accurate to start with. And, and, and for me, it's never. I've had this happen a few times myself. It's never far off. Right. right. It might change my zone you know five ten twenty seconds tops um but you're you're not losing the purpose of that workout oh right right um so jeff you you kind of gave the example of your your bike assessment you know where you know one month you were uh in at a lower uh, elevation and the next month you were at a higher elevation i kind of gave my 5k example of being um you know in a cooler temperature in march versus um having a slower 5k but still bumping the dot uh because i was testing in the summer um, so when athletes go look at their assessment page, uh, they're, they're going to see very clearly on the page, you know, the, the time that they're recording for that assessment and then the EN time for that assessment. Um, so, so we've kind of both given examples for, for some context, but, but what are the other things athletes need to know about how environment normalization affects their assessment? What's really cool and it seems like there's a lot going on here and, and there kind of is, but, but the beauty of it all is you don't necessarily have to fully understand it, which we have this podcast here to, to help in that aspect, but there's, there's basically three layers to what we're doing here. Um, and so Tridot knows the conditions at which you do your assessments, your tests, you, you do, you know, periodic tests to update your fitness and your zones going forward. We need to know how your fitness has changed so we can adjust your zones. Uh, and so Tridot knows the conditions at which you do your test. So now we can establish much more accurate training zones, right? Well, then there's a whole other layer to it all in that each day when you do your training, Tridot knows the weather and, and how it changes basically every hour throughout the day. So so every day when you do your training, Tridot knows the conditions at which you do your training and it normalizes that data and localizes it and gives you much more accurate power and paces, right? So your, your heart rate zones in, in Tridot always stay the same until you test again. Right, so that power for cycling and those pace zones for running will change all day long as the weather changes in your city um, to try to keep your heart rate the same and you get those physiological, uh, you know, more accurate effects from that, right? So that would be the second layer. Then kind of the third layer in all of this is kind of what, what, what your future races are, right? We're not just training you for 70.3 miles, 140.6 or whatever. You can customize all these distances in, in your races and try to, but we know that kind of historic and projected weather of your race coming up as well. We know the temperature, humidity, the, the elevation gain with within the, you know, flat courses and hilly courses are, are different, right? And so that third layer is we are training you for the conditions that you're going to be racing in for your individual uh, fitness levels mm. on your specific conditions on your specific race course. Um, and so we can normalize your race day strategy and how to race on your specific course inside of all that, which would kind of be that third layer. Yeah. So another race you might be run, you know, biking 112 miles and that could be a six hour effort or five hour effort or, 
you know, seven and a half or six forty-five. So that there could be a big difference there in what you're training for. And so if you need to go for a, a certain amount of time on race day, based on the terrain, all the environmental conditions, we know that your long ride needs to be, you know, X proportion of that. And so we're adjusting your long rides. How much are you going to build up in the long ride from week to week to it week? It knows I'm going to take longer at Lake Placid than yep. at Ironman, Texas. Yeah, yep. exactly. And and there, a lot of coaches use this. It's it's, it's on Google, but but you just to to establish or prescribe training zones, right? The the old school way of coaching is, okay, go do a 5K. Great, you ran a 20-minute 5K. Okay, you should be able to run a 320 marathon. Nope. Okay, great. Well, now you're going to go do Lake Placid full Ironman, <laughs> yeah. right? Are, are you going to train for, for 320 all year long, right? You, you're not going to be maybe, you know, fit enough to do that to, to later on in the season. Or you still got a long swim and a long bike. So do you add... 10 minutes to that 20 minutes to that or I might have done that 5k in February and Lake Placid isn't in February there you go and or and then you know and there's there's just so many things and like so so do you add 10 20 minutes to that 320 because um you're swimming and biking before but what if there's 5,000 feet of climbing on the bike and there's a thousand feet of climbing on the run do you guess and add another 10 or 20 minutes to that marathon time off the bike right and so so you know coaches have, have gotten decent at kind of guessing that you know they they may have raced that course they have an idea of, of all that but if you want to be exact there's just nothing out there use um, the data use the data that that you know yeah, has the data doesn't lie and get it right yep so whether we are just kind of getting to know a new training partner or just kind of talking shop with another athlete, you know, we often kind of go through this comparison list, you know, what, what, what's your FTP, what's your 5k pace, what's your base 100 in the pool, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and when we talk about FTP, you know, we we're used to talking about these, like it's an absolute number and it just kind of gets ingrained in you. Oh, my FTP is a 181. My FTP is a this, my FTP is that. And, and when we talk about e-norm and, and we're talking about assessments, you know, just now reigns and, and it's, it's making me think if we're so used to talking about FTP, like it's an absolute, it, it feels like when you talk about the, when you incorporate the environment, FTP shouldn't be absolute. Yes and no. So yes, ab- absolute in the sense of your, your fitness at any one time is absolute, but the way that's expressed depends on the conditions under which it's expressed. So your fitness may be the same, but what that turns into on one day, one time of day, in one environment to another could be different. Yeah. And so... It translates to a different outcome. Yeah, translates to a different outcome. Exactly right. So when you're thinking FTP and how that's expressed and your your paces are going to change in your workout, and also when you're measuring stress, we're talking about a lot prescriptively here on what your paces should be and what should your FTP, if it's, you know, you're working at 90% of that or 75%, whatever your workout is, that... FTP value is changing, so your prescription changing, but also when you're measuring training stress after the fact. So not only looking at performance improvement, but when you're calculating how stressful was that, uh, different types of day, your FTP changes, so the percents of the FTP change, so the amount of stress from different types of workouts uh, is also dynamic. So your FTP is dynamic, your your results from you know performances and training is dynamic, uh, as well as the, uh, the assessment values and the stress values, so that same doesn't stay the same day to day. Yeah, so it's we need to be humble in knowing that okay, even if I know my FTP might be right now 180, yeah, that doesn't mean I can hold 180 watts for an hour in 100 degree temperatures. Like, yep. it, like know and that you it's going to flex. Can, you can think of it <clears throat> back to the the base values. My enorm FTP is, and that number is the same until you retest. Okay, test it different. So that's the environment normalized. What it would be at 59 degrees, 30 percent humidity at sea level. 
So, so kind of last question you know, that, that I have when I think about you know, environment normalization and, and its impact on, on our training. Um, so let's kind of land the plane here in the main set with this. You know, if my race coming up, you know, is, is whether it's hot, whether it's humid, whether it's at altitude, uh, is there any value in trying to train in those conditions or, or can I train where I'm at with the weather I've got and let enorm kind of guide me on race day? Well, I think, you know, enormalization handles, you know, those different impacts, physiology and the, the, the physics of impeding your actual results due to those external factors of the environment. Um, it doesn't address the acclimatization, so getting used to something. So there's still that period when you get on site at altitude or, you know, getting used to the, the conditions. Um, but it does transfer your performance abilities. And okay. So that's really the thing that it's focused on. So that's about your, you know, your physiological ability and the physical reduce results produced from that, that ability. But there is tremendous value in training and the conditions that are going to be as close to race day as possible. Yeah. From a psychological important, getting used to it, being comfortable with that. Um, what it feels like, it feels different. Even though you're working just on your cable, it just feels different. Um, Your hydration, your fueling, all of those things change. So especially race rehearsals, the more that you can do and, you know, as near to race day uh, scenarios and environment. It's um, just biologically. It's it, your body has to adapt to those conditions biologically. Right. Regardless of how much work you're doing. Yeah. You're doing stuff a little differently to, to do that. You know, you're going to in different heat. You're going to tolerate stuff just digestively different. It's not a performance fitness ability, but you're going to digest differently. Um, you know, there's less blood in your gut and uh, your intestines. So I think it's, it's in additionally, just the familiarity with the conditions fosters confidence. So if you're familiar with it, it's not new. On race day, there's going to be enough new stuff to deal with. So the more familiar you are and comfortable you are in in that environment, the better you're going to perform. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. The day before a big race, we all do our best to relax and get a good night's sleep. But for tried-out athlete Andrew Sutterberg, a restful evening just wasn't in the cards the night before he raced Ironman Lake Placid. Here he shares the unexpected race eve drama and how he fared out on the race course the following day. Hey there, fellow triadutters. My name is Andrew Soderberg. I am from Irvine, California. I'm an 11-time Ironman, and today I want to tell you about my third Ironman, Ironman Lake Placid in 2015. This story starts the day before the Ironman at about 6 o'clock after I finished dinner. I went back and laid down in the hotel to get off my feet. I heard a commotion in the street, looked out into the street, and the building across the street from my hotel had caught on fire. I instantly called David to get him back to the hotel because he had gone for a walk and they were starting to close off our street and I didn't want him to get stuck outside. Um, We sat and watched the fire for quite some time and our room started to fill with smoke. So we turned off our air conditioner and wrapped our air conditioner in our bedspread to try and keep the smoke from coming into the building. Um, We watched it and it just kept getting bigger and then at 9.30 the inevitable happened and the firefighters came and they evacuated our hotel. So we're now nine and a half hours from the start of the Ironman and we are in a parking lot. So I did what I thought I should do and decided to try and sleep in the car. Uh, We had rented a SUV and so the two people that weren't racing sat in the front seats. I was in uh, the back seat and then Donnie, who was a little bit smaller, was able to lay down in the back of the SUV and we tried to sleep. There was a lot of commotion out there. It didn't really get any sleep in the car. Had kind of fallen asleep. Um, and at about 2.30, David came and woke us up and said they were letting us back into the hotel. 
Uh, we got back to the hotel. It really smelled like smoke. The firefighters were still in the street fighting the fire. So it's 2.30 in the morning. I got maybe 30 to 40 minutes of sleep after we got back in the hotel. Alarm went off at 4, and it was off to the race. I uh, got everything set up in transition, got to swim start, and cannon goes off and away we go. I had an okay swim, 124.23. If you've ever done Lake Placid, you know that there is a little bit of a run from transition and the swim, so it had a little bit longer transition. I was tired, but that was okay. I uh, got out on the bike. I was doing okay the first lap, but it's hilly and it started to get really hot, and I completely uh, messed my nutrition up. I was dehydrated, I didn't get enough food in, and I started cramping. Ended up having to stop, finally get through the bike, and my bike split was 753.39, which was not a great bike split, but I got there and I was able to hit the run course. Um, in transition two, I, I was done. I just wanted to be done and hope that they would medically say, hey, you can't go, you look awful, you're done. But no such luck, so away I go. I saw David as soon as I came out of uh, T2 and told him to get comfortable because it was gonna be a long night. So I kind of did a shuffle walk run and got through the first lap, first half marathon. And the volunteers that were at the timing mat, I heard one of them whisper to the other one, hey, he just finished his first lap. And I turned and smiled at him and I said, I have to finish today, but not finishing isn't an option. What I haven't told you guys at this point is that I was doing this Ironman on my birthday and not finishing and DNFing on my birthday just wasn't an option. So they said, happy birthday, go get it. We'll see you in a little bit. Take off and just kept fighting through as I got a little bit more energy. I ran when I could, walked, but just relentless forward progress was all I could do. Um, I got back to the timing mat and had finished the second lap and was turning to head in. And they said, congratulations, you did it. Happy birthday, go get it, go get it, you got it. And I uh, went to the oval, I hit the oval. And at that point it felt like I was in an all out sprint because I was so excited to be done. And the oval has so much energy on it with Mike Riley and the crowd amazing experience uh, came around the corner Mike Riley called me in as an Ironman for my third time it was a pretty cool experience I had a 657 20 marathon which was more of a walk run marathon but I got it done I finished in 1641.09 I guess the moral of this story is that relentless forward progress pays off no matter what happens just keep going keep training and you can get there well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank TriDot founder Jeff Boer and coach Jeff Rains for helping us realize the importance of environment normalization on our training. Also, a big thanks to Andrew Soderberg for sharing his Ironman Lake Placid story. If you have an epic race day war story that you want to share on the podcast, head to TriDot.com slash podcast and click on leave us a voice message to record your story for the show. A lot can happen out there on course on race day, and we want to hear your stories. We'll have another show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to 